Hey, are you here? Yes, you're here, and we are glad. So now we're about to introduce you to guitarist, singer, songwriter, record producer Ira Engber. Ira's been hard at it since he wrote his first song at age 15. Since then, he's worked with everyone from Bob Dylan, Bonnie Raitt, and Captain Beefheart, and he's going to cover a lot of ground with your host today, Paul E. Leslie. Real quick, help! Yes, help the Paul Leslie Hour. We depend on our audience to keep us going. Visit www.thepaulleslie.com/support. And we now present an interview with an endlessly creative musician, Ira Engber. Take it away, guys. We are joined by a gifted artist. Ira Engber is a very inventive musician and recording artist, multi-instrumentalist, producer, songwriter, session musician. He's been recording since he was 15 years old. He's worked with a great number of artists. Some of my personal favorites: J.D. Souther, Van Dyke Parks, Rita Coolidge, Bob Dylan. Songs he's composed have been recorded by the likes of Bonnie Raitt, Joe Cocker, Captain Beefheart, Sammy Hagar, Canned Heat. A lot of a lot of great artists, and also he's made some really wonderful recordings himself. So it's a real honor to welcome to the show Ira Ingber. Honor to be here, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me, how's it going? In the global sense, in the personal <laughs> sense, in the personal sense, what's new in the world of Ira Ingber? Um, this past Sunday, my band—we have a band、uh, we call—we're called Jackie O, which I hope we can talk about a little bit. Played for the first time、um, since last July. We were.、Um, We played last July in the backyard. The, the, this band is、uh, comprised of two former members of Oingo Boingo, Steve Bartek and John Avila, and then、uh, David Raven is the drummer. And David, his his credit list is longer than ten arms put together.、Um, and we hadn't played since, but we played this last Sunday, and it was just amazing. We've all been vaccinated, and、uh, we decided that we're going to. Do some filming and recording and filming,、uh, because we are about to jump into a new adventure with it. And just the idea of of playing together,、mm. the experience, because as you've probably seen, as most everyone has seen, we've seen videos of people playing in squares, and all those videos of people playing that sounds like they're playing together, they're really not. They are. Files sent from one to another, and although the final result has the、uh, it, it has the verisimilitude of music, in fact, it's not because the 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 being together, the nonverbal communication that that musicians have with one another when they're performing, when they're recording, when they're just being together, is. It's beyond the secret sauce. It is the vital component, and when you remove that, which all of us are aware of over this past、uh, this past year and change,、um, music sounds very similar to music 
that that music that was composed layered, you know, it it can sound similar, but in fact, this essential component is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and having it back this last Sunday was just it was heavenly. There's just no words to describe it. And and all those little things where you 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 uh, look at somebody just raise a shoulder or something and something happens you can't do that in this other mode so i'm looking forward to more of that and i think we all are i think the one thing that all of us i call us lifers because it's been my whole my whole life Hmm. everything stopped um unlike anything we've ever experienced and and no one really knew quite what to do with it. So you hear stories of a lot of people writing a lot and recording a lot. And I've been doing, I've been very busy here in my studio. I've been mixing and mastering and writing and all that stuff, taking advantage of all these hours, you know, of of not having to get into my car. I drove 600 miles in my car last year. Mm. I mean, and and I'm in LA. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's really an anomaly. At the beginning, when I was introducing you, I was talking about all the things that you you do in the world of music, from composing to playing on other people's albums, creating your own albums, performing, all these different things. What would you say is at the heart of what you do? Um, well, that's a really good question. At the heart of it, um, th- I have a quote here in my I, Somewhere around here, uh, Simon Rodia, the man who created the Watts Towers, very famous uh, art. They would call it an installation. Now he did it in the late 50s, 40s and 50s, I think. It's very broken English, but his line was that his quote is, "You got to do something in the world they never got him before." <laughs> That's his line. So well I think <laughs> I, I, I I like to live by that one. Um, I grew up at a time when being original was uh, not just essential it it, if you if you didn't have an original interpretation of what it is you were trying to do uh, then you really didn't stand a chance of getting any traction so that uh, you know coming up with with the bands I was in or the people I worked with everyone had a unique signature and I think that what and I don't want to even get close to criticizing the music of today because there's a lot of it that's really great. But I think that this the sensibility has changed so dramatically from being original, from focusing on originality to now focusing on, well, can you sound like so-and-so because we want to be able to put you into a category. Um, cultivating and, 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 and under, uh, discovering better who you might be as an artist is lies at the heart you know mm. and it's and it's constant discovery i think in my own solo albums i have three and a fourth i don't know what i'm going to do as an album but i have enough material for a compilation um it has been constantly this search for well i can't repeat myself i'll give you an example uh, on my the last album that i did which came out in in 2015 i believe um, it's called Time Sensitive. And I hadn't listened. I, I recorded, I think, six of, of the songs at that point. And I just said, well, I should I, I should listen to these as a group because I hadn't listened. I was doing them one at a time. And I listened to them. And to my horror, 
every one of those songs had some referencing to time in it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, do I have to? I, well, I can't scrap it. It's too late. And then, you know, the, 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 the angel light bulb, you know, I get the devil here. The angel light bulb lit up and said, well, it's, it's a through line. This is time sensitivity. And mm -hmm. so I was able to, to, to save myself to, to a degree. Um, the, but the act of, of, of song to song in the case of because our, our units of, 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 uh, of measurement are really songs. You know, ultimately, if, if I'm working on a session for, uh, you know, a composer, let's say, then they're film cues or TV cues. But, you know, we deal with songs and song to song. There's discoveries. You, you're 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 finding your way. You know, you, you, uh, what was it? I think. Uh, one of the fame, it might it might have been Michelangelo. I don't even know what it was, but, you know, the horse, the sculpture of the horse was locked into the marble. And somehow your job is to free the horse that's sitting in there. Mm. You know, there's all this stuff for, for ways of finding our uh, getting our footing. You know, uh, I'm working with a younger artist right now. I'm producing her and, you know, she's she's really wonderful. And she's 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 very concerned about where she is in these songs. And I said, well, y y you should be out of necessity but right now your job is to make things let's sort it out later get things done mm -hmm. and and i know that the, the people who uh i admire my, my you know call them mentors or people i've looked up to van dyke's a perfect example van dyke just cranks stuff out and 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 i've held him to this before when he is somewhat down on things he said to me his best work lies ahead for still ahead and I, and I, and when he was he, he was down about something i said van dyke you told me your best work is still yet to be made and that's an important thing to to consider for someone who's in his later 70s and i believe it i think that there's you know look I mean, look at the people who over the, the the famous people i mean you know bob dylan's a perfect example uh picasso all those people it was not about what they did. It's about what they're doing and what they're hopefully going to do. Hmm. Looking back at things is difficult. It's difficult for me because, um, you know, you, you think about, oh, God, I could have done that so much better. And you start second guessing. It's done. It's a it's a document and it's been taken care of. Let's 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 get into discovery now. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you were mentioning the, the, these people that you would call your mentors. Tell us about the people who not only mentored you, but you would say have made the biggest influence on your work. Whether well, certainly uh, um, in the beginnings, I have my, my brother, Elliot Ingber, uh, was he got me my first guitar. My parents, in their in their infinite wisdom, decided that one guitar player was enough for the house. So <laughs> he, he, he was uh, he was already playing. He's. Uh, he was on tour, uh, and he brought back a guitar for me, and it was a little Gibson Melody Maker, lowest of the low of the Gibson line. And what he told me at the time, and, I, and it was completely lost on me, the guitar had belonged to Dale Hawkins. Dale Hawkins was the man who wrote Susie Q, among other songs. And Susie Q had a guy named James Burton playing guitar on it. it I think he was 16 when he played Susie Q, the, the mm -hmm. great James Burton. 
all lost on me. But in in my parents' house, there were all these musicians coming and going, and they'd be they'd be for lack of a better word, they'd be jamming in the living room. So uh, the first time I ever saw a Wurlitzer electric piano, it was played by a fellow named Bruce Johnston, and Bruce eventually became a member of the Beach Boys. <laughs> but he was in my parents' living room, and the first time I saw this weird little clinky piano with a speaker that was about this big it was the the first of them that was it had a, a speaker that was the amplifier it was bruce the first time i ever saw a, a fender bass uh was was played by a fellow named larry taylor who's no longer with us larry taylor was very much of a mentor to me i larry taylor got me later to produce canned heat you know after all of those years i was the little kid and then later uh in the early 90s, Larry uh, got me to produce Canned Heat. So that, th these were stages of this mentorship. Don Peake was at my uh, in, the, in the house, my parents' house, became a wrecking crew guy. Uh, no, the chord goes like this, Don said. No, play it this way. And it wasn't like lessons. It was just watching them. I was very curious. I really much preferred to play baseball. But it was unavoidable in the house because I'd come in and these guys are playing music and they're playing you know, they're, they're playing, uh, you know, uh, how, how, how did uh, how did Freddie King play that? No, he played it this way. And they play the records over and over again, which is what we did. We played records to figure out the code. We were looking for the code. And um, that was foundational. And uh, and it was pure luck. Absolute luck. Maybe some people. Uh, astrol uh, from an astrology point of view, it, it was destined. But where I was living, when I was living, I was smack dab in the middle of the hurricane. You know, I went uh, I went to Fairfax High School, and Fairfax was right in the middle of the ex the pop explosion. Hmm. That, that 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 we didn't know. I mean, we were aware of the Sunset Strip thing was going on which was just, you know, it was two miles from my house. I could walk there. Uh, the Ash Grove, you probably have heard people in your show talk about this legendary little hole-in-the-wall club where you saw everybody up close. I mean, I mean everybody. Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. Uh, when, when Lightning Hopkins played there, you didn't even bother going because he'd be there next week. But, I mean, this this kind of stuff was all geographically and time-wise, as I was coming up. And so the mentorship, the people I looked up to were all around me, you know, at, at the, um, as time progressed, then there would be people whose music I would follow more, you know, and the, my brother was in, in the Mothers of Invention. He was in the first band. And so I got to be around Frank and, and, who was absolutely wonderful to me. I could, I borrowed guitars from him. He lent me amps and I was the kid, but I was okay. You know, cause I, 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 I was respectful enough. I, I guess I understood some of the rules of, of, of behavior and, and deportment. And Frank was a huge influence on me. You know, there, there, there are guitar chords I play today that I learned from Frank and, um, Later on, Don, uh, Don Van Vliet, Captain Beefheart, same thing. They, they were people who were in my life, but they weren't there as 
the superstar, well, that term didn't exist yet, but as these luminaries, they were, they was Frank and there was Don and they were people who, um, I had, you know, firsthand contact with just because of my brother. Tell us a little bit about Captain Beefheart. What was the essence of this guy? Oh boy. That's two interviews with you. (laughs) He was magnificent. Um, his presence, number one, uh, he had the most the most beautiful blue eyes I'd ever seen in my life. Maybe to this day, although I I did I did uh, in my early twenties I recorded with with Frank Sinatra as a guitar player, and I got I was very close to him. It was a live session. His blue eyes really were that blue. It was amazing. Mm. Full blue eyes. It was really true. Beavarts were like you, you you were looking through like layers. It was very almost hypnotizing. He was contagiously uh, uh, creative. It just rubbed off. He would do things just the way he spoke, the way he carried himself. Much of it was lost on me. I I made arguably uh, the worst record of his career. People say that Moonbeams and Blue Jeans, but a lot of people in the, in the UK liked it, but um, it was a record he didn't want to do. The magic band was gone, and my brother, I forgot how it happened, but Don asked my brother, my brother asked me to to play with it. We put a little band together, and we wrote songs. I wrote songs with Don. I was 24 at the time, and he was, you never knew, you never knew how he would react to things. You, you, I, you would hope he liked what you did, but when he did, he said, yep, that's it, hmm. that's it. And you were moved on. He was um, just so – his view of the world was unlike anybody else's I'd ever met since. Just just different wiring. You, you could believe that when you listen to the recordings. Yeah, he, he – uh, you, you look at the, the component pieces of people, you know um, – artists who you like you know who were their influences so obviously you know don was very much influenced by blues because you know that was that was the bedrock howlin wolf uh all the greats but then this other thing kind of came in and and the i call it angular music you know and disjointed things that shouldn't fit that do and you know, I think that the, the jazz people who maybe maybe Ornette Coleman, I, I, I would want to say, you know, uh, the, the free jazz stuff that 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 was very influential in the late 50s. Um, both Frank and Don, you know, they lived way out in, in the desert out here in, in uh, Lancaster area. This was they were they were they were isolated. But they had their music. They had the records. And the records were the currency for everybody in those days. My brother still has a large record collection. And, you know, it was this underground thing. Who was cool? Who had this? Um, Al Wilson and Bob Height of, of Canned Heat. They were record collectors. And they their whole deal was, uh, you know, who had this rare copy of something. Of course, now everything's everything's available. You know, you have to know how to look for it, but it's all there for you to take. And um, coming of age as I did, because I'm younger than those guys, uh, 
that 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 mentality filtered down to me so that when it came my turn, you know, I would play the Beatle records over and over again, or I'd play the whatever it was to look for those things that, that informed that's mentorship, you know, but moving onward, Van Dyke, certainly a huge influence, um, work ethic wise, hardest, hardworking guy. Dylan, hardworking. Um, Don was too. Don and Frank, you know, the legendary. The guy was, I don't think workaholic even is justice because they weren't <laughs> holics. That's what they did. They made things all the time. Hmm. I, I want to thank you for sending me some advances of this upcoming compilation of yours. What would you say is the best thing for you when to get the the composing uh, juices flowing? What gets it going, or does it just come to you? I have a yellow. Well, it's it's, it's now it's pink. I like post-its that are bright color. I've got currently. I'm working with this color post-it. I like mm-hmm. this ink. Ink looks good on this, and I write with this very old Schaefer fountain pen because it it feels important and it smells great. <laughs> uh, sometimes words come to me. Sometimes uh, I'll see, I'll hear a rhythm, and I'll write that down. Um, it comes different ways. Um, I think the the key is. Well, I, I used to walk to the gym from here, the 15 minute walk down to my gym and walking to the gym. Things would just kind of hit my head. Most people are listening to headphones, music, and it's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to, you know, I want to get away from it, but mm-hmm. stuff is still coming in. And I, I, I feel the, uh, when I'm tuned in, like I'm, I'm working on a song, let's say, and I'm walking to the gym, uh, a lyric line will happen, and, and I'll, 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 I, I don't have my post-it, so I'll write, I'll write with ink on my hand and hope that I don't wash it off, you know, at the gym, or I'll call my phone and and and, and you know dictate it. Um, it comes in different ways. It, it 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 sometimes it's getting a new instrument, you know. Sometimes it, it's uh, um, it's hearing something. Uh, it's it's hearing the way uh, the wind. I have a, there's a big couple palm trees in the back hearing the way the wind comes through the palm tree will signal something. It, it, I can't even predict where they come from. It's, I know that many, uh, people, writers, especially, where do you get your ideas from? If I knew I would go get more. I don't, (laughs) I don't wait for inspiration Uh, that, that I did learn a while back because it's not reliable. It's, it's, it disappoints. I think that when you work and establish a pattern of this, inspiration is just kind of a that, that's a that's a side product of it because then it fuels that then then it builds on itself and you do something and then you get inspired to do more. But waiting for it to summon you to work that that I think that's that's kind of a, a, a Hollywood version of watching. You know, you know, the old movies where the, the writers got the typewriter and he's got the scotch and the cigarette and the <laughs> ashtrays filled up and there's crumpled manuscript paper. And, you know, it, it's kind of boring to watch. I know that when any time I see 
scenes in a movie, especially of like people in a studio, like and and these were I thought good movies. The the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody movie was was a good movie, you know. But watching them in the studio, it doesn't work that way. And and I, I don't know how much you've been in studios, but it it's like watching paint dry a lot of the time. It's it's, it's slow. It's it's watching a movie being made is 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 absolute boredom. And then there's those moments where it's it's like combat. You know, uh, I, I scored a documentary some years ago. Uh, it was wonderful man. Uh, he was a, a fighter pilot. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated by World War II airplanes, partially because the sound of them, the way they look, uh, despite the fact that they're killing machines. But I, I got to be friends with the pilot. He's since passed. And uh, he I would kind of, you know, be like a groupie. Well, what was it like, you know? And he said, well, for the most part, it was it was heavenly. He's hmm. flying this wonderful machine. He, he was flying P-38s. And he, he got to fly. He, said, you know, he, had his own, he had his own Lamborghini. He said it was wonderful. But then there's the two or three or five minutes of sheer terror. But other than that, it's, it's – but, I mean, not to equate terror of, in a recording studio with being in combat, but things don't happen quickly. You know, it's slow. It's, 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 it's uh, laborious. And I think that when I work by myself on these recordings that you're referencing, uh, it's tough because I like working in collaboration. I like the the interaction. I, 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 you know, when someone points out something to me that's right before my nose, I can't see it. It's a gift. I've learned very successfully. Uh, I, it was just around the time I made the first record, which was I think it came out in 2000, 2006. Working for other people as a producer, I could be somewhat dispassionate about what is coming through the speakers. And so a vocal, if I'm listening and working on a vocal, either, yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, fix that line, etc. I could lear I learned how to do it for myself so that the guy who was me singing happened to be, uh, it happened to be me. It could be anybody. So I was able to be very dispassionate about it and not think, oh, oh, you're so good. Oh, you're so bad. You know, just it, that was removed. It was just yes, no, yes, no. And it was it was a simulation of collaboration that I that I've learned how to do and having the tools we have now. I have a studio that's a dream studio. It's it lives in my computer primarily. But the things we couldn't have dreamt of years ago now exist. So. um you don't get painted into the same corners that we used to get painted into in the analog world, which is good and bad news. Mostly good, I think. Um, but the, 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 I'm trying to keep this thread going over your question of where the, where the, the, the inspiration things come, what comes, it comes in all different forms. You know, it, uh, rhythm plays a huge component. Sometimes I'll just put a drum loop on and somehow I'll start playing and things happen. I think for a lot of people, myself certainly, things happen when you put the energy to it. It's as simple as that. You make things happen. And it's like fishing. Some days you go out, you catch. Some days you just don't. You know, so you go back the next day and hope you catch something. Mm -hmm. um, generally, the more you do it, the more fish you catch. Mm -hmm. I know you may not be able to tell us too much about this, uh, but 
maybe you can tell us something. I understand you you encountered Bob Dylan again. Mm, mm. Yeah, I can't, unfortunately, say much. I was informed in no uncertain terms. Now, Ira, I wonder if you can tell us a little uh, about this. There is a video from a musician named Tim Pierce. Mm. Uh, and that's on YouTube, and it's gotten quite a bit of traction and mm -hmm. interest from people. Mm -hmm. It was posted on the Expected Rain website, and I'm wondering, can you get, shed any light on that? It certainly stirred up a lot of controversy. Um, I think it came out in March of this year, or whenever it was. I'm not sure when it was. The The extent of detail in that video um, was pretty astonishing to me because the overriding principle that is handed down uh, within the world of, of Bob Dylan is that Bob doesn't like it when people talk about sessions. And over the years, people who have, to my to, to, from my perspective, haven't gone back to work with him again. Now, the work I did with him in the 80s on Empire Burlesque and then again on Knocked Out Loaded, there were a number of books written. The Bob Dylan Encyclopedia came out. I got put into that. Clinton Halen famously did his book, Behind the Shades. <clears throat> But times were different then. And because obviously there was no internet, um, there wasn't the accessibility to the amount of gossip, real uh, information, false information, just chatter. It didn't exist. <clears throat> so whatever happened in the 80s and probably in through the 90s, pre-internet, um, is very different now. <clears throat> so Tim's video, which was very surprising to me, considering Tim's credits and Tim's uh, background, he's, a, he's a, an extraordinary guitar player. I know him a little bit as an acquaintance. I know friends who are closer to him. And uh, he's worked with everyone. I mean, Springsteen and go down the list. And as he uh, talks about in the video, he uh got asked to play with bob but what he didn't pay attention to i think we call it reading the room um he didn't really understand i think the extent to which even though there was not a formal nda there's an informal nda with this stuff and bob is secretive about things for reasons that he doesn't have to explain. This is how he likes to work. And Tim revealed things in that video. Many things he got right, you know, some things he got wrong. And my name was mentioned as a the musician who replaced him. It was kind of funny how he said it. He said, because uh, I think it's about a 12-minute video. And he had, but you know, near the end, he says he was replaced. He said musicians were coming and going, I think he said. Mm. And then he was replaced 
by longtime Dylan guitarist Ira Ingbert, which I had to laugh about because I would not consider myself to be a longtime guitarist with Bob. I was a long ago guitarist hmm. with Bob. We had no continuity. And so I, I'm not going to deny that I was on those sessions because that would be lying. Yes, Don Waz, Greg Lease, myself, I think T-Bone's name was mentioned in the video. Uh, it, it was extraordinary in that, you know, seeing Bob working with the vitality that he has and the intention that he has completely undiminished by time. It, it's so inspiring to uh, be around someone, forget about all of his talents and, you know, who he is, but just the guy's in his eighties hmm. and unflagging energy and um, real care. He cares about the things he's doing. Um, I think from the from the way that video um, portrayed Tim's video, the way it, the way his perception of the sessions, um, it, it felt to me like he was probably in a little too much awe. Mm. Um, I'll say that charitably. You know, Bob really likes people to treat him as normal as possible. He's a human being. He's a musician who relates to other musicians. And we all related really well together. And the fact that um, Tim saw it as, oh, my God, I'm playing with this legend. I think he probably got off to a bad foot. Mm. Is that the right way? He got off on the bad foot. And and again, not to, to diminish anything of Tim's abilities, he's a wonderful musician. I don't think he understood because I heard his recordings. I ended up replacing him. Mm. Bob wasn't happy with him. That's really what happened. Again, not to disrespect him. He ended up on several of the final recordings. Um, and I ended up, I wasn't, I didn't replace him as much as they were just re-recorded. Right. With my, now I was the last guy in. And uh, well, that's not true. There was a couple other guys who followed. But um, I don't think it was specifically because he wanted to lose Tim as much as that contributed to his wanting to rethink the whole, the whole thing. So I ended up on the lion's share of it. Uh, Tim is on the, uh, on the earlier recordings that's, that survived of that group. And again, I, I don't think, I don't think he understood the fact that, and this, this was a, a, a something of a of a revelation to me bob is is the most in the moment person i've ever met in my life it's only about right now and so tim was as i heard the things he played he was trying to play what we would call bob dylan music mm. and there really isn't such a thing i came to understand they're bob dylan songs and whatever this moment is that we're in that's what becomes recorded and i suspect that all through his career from the beginning well once other musicians got involved after his solo stuff that if you took any one recording and we've heard this i'm sure you have too paul 
if you heard it, if you heard a take of, you know, take your pick, uh, Queen Jane approximately, and you heard take one, and then you heard take two, they would be different. Yeah. And, and I think that's the way he works. It's about the discovery in the moment of what's going on. And I don't think Tim really understood that. I think he was trying to capture what he thought, you know, in his, in his ear, Bob Dylan music was. And Bob is anything but that. And I think probably a lot of people who have played with Bob over the years have made the same mistake. I remember reading an interview with Don Waz for his uh, production. Yeah. That he did. Uh, you need to get that phone. I think. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, let's wait till that runs out. Sorry, Paul. No worries. Um, what was the album that 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 Don produced? Uh, Yellow Moon under a. Red, uh, the Red Sky album. Red Sky, that's correct. And he was very candid in this interview. Don was that he his intention was to go in and and do an homage in some ways of Highway sixty one, and he realized early on that was a huge mistake. Hmm. <laughs> it's an honest mistake because we you know you wouldn't know unless you get to work with this guy that he's not about what was, he's only about what is. And I think the, um, the, the, the difficulty in us as I'm a, look, I'm a fan of Bob's <laughs> from the beginning in accepting the fact that those things that we heard all of our lives, those recordings and, um, we tend to think of them as being this is his statement etched in stone and it's anything but that it's mm. the moment that was caught then and i think that bears out by you know the live shows and the, you know sometimes he just goes off the cliff with these songs and people what song did we just hear you know we've heard that over the years too so i don't want to uh feed a lot of that video because really i'm still not really at liberty to talk about this stuff yes it happened those names were correct he was correct in that tim was um it was a uh just extraordinary experience for me to be back with bob i hadn't been back with him in over 30 some odd years and we got along great you know and, and i don't think he's ever sounded better in terms of he doesn't sound like a 24 year old guy now he sounds like an older guy and i, I don't know if you've heard this uh uh latest recording that came out well you i think you mentioned you did the blown it blown it right i think it's great you know he's not who he was he and, and it, it really it helps to further solidify my 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 uh take on him He's a, he's about who he is. He's not about who he was. And that's hard to, it's hard for musicians, especially put into that environment. And we were recording the old song, re-recording the old songs. How do you not try to get some 
uh, uh, thematic material or key lines from those old songs and bring it into the new ones. Well, we would do it very judiciously. I did, you know, on any given song, if there was something that was really memorable or I don't want to use the word hook, but if there was anything that was relevant as a signature, I would try to intimate it, Hmm. but not be slavish about it, not say this is how it went, you know, and I think Tim probably did more of that. Hmm. He played it as it was, and that was his undoing. Interesting stuff. That's my guess. Let me just encapsulate. There was a 34-year gap. Yeah. No contact with Bob whatsoever. We did the albums in the 80s, um, Knocked Out Loaded, Empire Burlesque and Knocked Out Loaded, which by many measurements were the low point of his career. And like Beefheart, those albums have have gotten something of a of, of a resurgence. Brownsville Girl is one of the songs. It's it's I guess it's considered one of his greats at this point. We 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 were there at the inception of it. Um, so a uh, lot of time spent with him back then. Eighty it was eighty four was the first group of sessions. Then there was a break, and then I I came back. The original band that I put together uh, was gone because Bob's always changing. The, the operating manual for Bob, which I was informed of early on, was you never know with Bob. That's that's just the mantra. And, and it serves you well when you understand it. Uh, so there was a 86. I came back and that was with Al Cooper and. uh a couple, somebody else who had been with him a while back and large group, kind of chaotic. Um, and that was it. That was it. And then about a year and a half ago, a, a, a woman who works for him is an old friend of mine. And we, we, we were always in contact. And I get a text saying that um, uh, Bob wanted to do this. And it like, wow, I hadn't heard from him in all these years. <laughs> and then we started a communication. But it, through the intermediary, he would send her, she would text me and go back. So I never had direct with him until October of last year. And we we had a phone conversation and we talked for about 45 minutes. It was unbelievable. It was like no time had passed. It was like we plugged right in and, you know, very, very free, free, almost free association, very wide spread subjects that we were talking about. Um, uh, I had told him way back in the day that, that I found out we were related through marriage. Huh. And, and, and I didn't know, I, I, it was so convoluted that uh, I, I couldn't even tell him what it was because I mentioned some names and he didn't know. And, and, but I finally figured out who it was. And, and uh, so we talked about that a little bit, but I got a sense in that conversation with him that um, he really wasn't interested that 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 much uh, of what was, you know, because mm. maybe it was painful, maybe it was boring, maybe it was, you know, so long ago. I don't really know, but I didn't I didn't pursue it that much. But it's funny that we we are related distantly through marriage. Um, and then we talked about just you know stuff. He wanted to do some kind of a show. I wasn't sure what it was, and I said, well, you know. Uh, uh, let's do some, let, let, let me do some stuff. Let me do some little research. So I, 
got some guys together. John Avila was uh, the bass player from, from Jackie O. John, as I mentioned, was an Oingo Boingo guy. And John is just an extraordinary talent, great singer, great bass player. And then another guy, um, Doug Lacey. I thought that'd be a nice little group. And nothing happened. It was just, just nothing happened. And then uh, last month, uh, well, now February, uh, I, Bob sent me a piece of music that he was sketching. And, and you know, would you put some things on it? I thought, well, that's that's going to be cool. So I did some things, sent it back to him and found heard that he, he liked it. He wants to write some lyrics. And I didn't hear anything. It was, hmm. was it. And then um, it was just about a week ago. I got a call. Can you come down and play? And that's what this latest batch of stuff was that I, I can't. The world will hear about it. Sure. <laughs> it, will not be, it will not be a secret for a long time. It was extraordinary. I can just I can say that it was uh, he, he's 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 in amazing shape. You know, you hear these stories. His voice is shot. His voice is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just blown away by his energy, his focus, his, his commitment to making things right. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to have to write a book because the, the one-liners are just phenomenal. <laughs> he said at one point when we were playing that, you know, there was too much playing going, too, too much music. And he said, every note is important. Now, that sounds like a pretty understated way, but he was saying, well, you know, Mozart and Bach and everybody else, he said, he said they didn't just put notes in. Everything was for a reason. They didn't mm-hmm. just play. They, and, of course, we all know that. You know, that, was, that wasn't news to, to us. But in the context, it, it, it was, okay, I'm playing too much, he's telling me, or he's telling this guy. What can I do to dial it back? So we all went. We, we brought it way back. And suddenly this thing was revealed. Mm. You know, the shape of this thing was revealed and it's very intimate. Uh, it's it's. I think it's extraordinary stuff. And I, I, I maybe we have to meet again, Paul, to to talk about what it was, because it was. Uh, really. Uh, uh, so gratifying and and playing again, we were playing. Everybody was vaccinated, so we were playing together, you know, and um, couldn't have come at a better time, you know, because my, as I said, Jackie O played last Sunday. Now, then over this last week, I've been playing with musicians again. It's just, it's heavenly. So the thing, the thing with Bob was, um, is, I think they're working on it as we speak. Um, he's restless. When, yeah. I was, when I was working on uh, my, my second, the, the last record, Time Sensitive, I brought in a guy who I met at the gym, uh, a younger a black guy who, who does rap and hip hop stuff. And we just hit it off. And he's, he's just, his name is Sum, S-U-M, and just an extraordinary guy. And we ended up writing a song together. And he's quite a bit younger than I am. And, and he's very... Very curious. He hasn't heard most of the people I played with. As a matter of fact, he hadn't. He never even heard Robert Johnson. I had to turn him on to Robert Johnson, <laughs> and it, his head exploded. He said, "What?" You know. I said, "Yeah." Now listen to this guy. Here's J.B. Lenore. What? 
So I felt like, you know, I was really doing him a, a service, not because of his heritage of being a black guy, but, you know, here's, here's talk about context. These are the guy. these are the building blocks of what we do mm -hmm. that eventually filtered down to him. And, but anyway, he, he looked at me one day, he was working here in the room with me and he said, uh, you know, you're restless. And, and I said, you know, that's one of the nicest things you, anybody ever said to me. Uh, many of my peers have got both feet up on the desk, you know, kind of looking at their retirement annuities. Um, I, I don't think it's possible for a musician to retire hmm. unless, you know, God forbid you have a physical impairment or you 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 just want to hang it up you know famously when sinatra kept retiring he kept retiring he'd retire and then he's out again mm -hmm. I, I hear this about clapton too he's never going to play again then he plays again right so you know i mean what is it what it what it is is about the thing that you can't stop doing you you know bob is a perfect example he makes music that's what he does and, you know, McCartney, I, I, I'm so much in, in awe of what this latest McCartney record that, that just came out. Uh, he lost me a long time ago. You know, of course, the Beatles were everything. And, you know, over the years, McCartney, eh, who cares? But this last record, I was so impressed with his, 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 his dedication to what he's doing. He doesn't have to work, but he has to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He has to work and maybe it's ego driven and maybe it's proving that he's still whatever. I don't care what his reasons are. The fact is he shows up and, and cares. He cares a lot. And uh, I suspect Neil Young's the same way. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that, you know, uh, who's ever left the stones probably. I mean, I think, you know, probably Mick and Keith, as much as they're an old, you know, married couple arguing, they still care. They show up, they do it. And it's, I, you know, is it money? Eh, maybe, you know, they're, they're down to their last, you know, $3 billion. So they <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, there's, yeah. there's, there's something underlying it that, that right. fuels all of these people. And if Frank was still alive today and if Don was still alive today, it would be the same thing. Now, Don, of course, famously became a painter. He was always a painter and, but he'd be painting, you know? And I think that, that, um, the restlessness is important. Van Dyke has it in spades. He, you know, when he's in the, he, he, he was happy when I got this duty. He paces all through this room. He's, he stop moving for a second, you know. <laughs> and, and when we work with Brian Wilson, Brian, very restless, very mm -hmm. restless, very consumed with how do I get this thing out, you know. Bob, the same thing with, you know, he, he's just, he's, he, you could just see this energy. That, that is looking for a way out. Mm -hmm. and, and they all share that. Just to go back to Van Dyke, we, we, we did, it's now seven years ago, Songs Cycled, his, his album, which was kind of a bookend. Song Cycle being 68's, you know, the big, his, his, his opus of the time, which is still cited as one of the greats. Um, and being involved with that project was really really exciting because all these people were coming in uh people that he'd worked with over the years and he wrote amazing stuff 
the emotion of, of, of being around really greatness. I, I, there's no other word for it. It's greatness. He's a great man. He's, uh, he's a, I love him to death. He's a complete lunatic. He knows, he knows I know that. <laughs> and he, he, he brings out, he brings out the best in me oftentimes. I finally figured out how to record for Van Dyke, though, as a guitar player. So this is a quick aside. So, I mean, oftentimes he used, uh, everybody's played, uh, Rye Cooter's played, Grant Geiston famously a lot, and Grant, phenomenal guitar player. And so in the early years of my working with him, we'd be get together and he'd be, try this. And you go down an alley and it's a dead end. We'd go, okay, let's try that. And, you know, he just wants to just try things, you know, in real time. And, and I'm, I'm the marionette. I mean, yes, I'm the puppet. He's the marionette uh, operator. And it got to be really tough. He's tough on singers because he'll try, well, do double this, but double it, you know, a minor second up here. It's like I mean, he said he has people doing he has people doing impossible things. So I finally figured out about maybe five, eh, a little longer years ago. The only way I can record from him is to send him away. Let me do stuff on my own and 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 look at his score. Now, he writes what I call tall, which means he writes. Well, he doesn't write any more longhand, but he does it in the computer. But, you know, the 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 pickle, the piccolo and, and other, you know, the woodwinds are up here and then down go here and there's strings and brass. And you can follow it as a very long score. So what I would do is I would find because he doesn't write guitar parts. He he's very I mean, he and Lowell George were very tight and Lowell and I were very were close, not as tight as them, but close. Lowell was Lowell was another huge one for me. Huge. Uh, so Van Dyke loved slide guitar, orchestral slide guitar, which I was able to use uh, to great uh, great effect working with Danny Elfman. I, I did uh, uh, most of the guitars for Midnight Run, the movie of some 30 years ago. Orchestral slide, you know. So with Van Dyke, I would do these things and I would I would find, OK, I'm going to follow the clarinet line for a while and see what see how far I can get. OK, it ended. Let's, what's the cello doing? I'll pick up on that. And something comes together as a, as a part. So he comes back and says, oh, that's great. That's it. Now, it mm. took me a long time to do it, but it, at least I got something coherent. And we uh, uh, he produced uh, Gabby Moreno. I don't know if you know who she is. Uh, this beautiful record that came out last year. Uh, I think I hope it's not a COVID casualty because it's a wonderful record. It's called Spanglish. And Gabby's from... Uh, Guatemala, Nicaragua, no, Guatemala, wonderful singer. She sang on uh, Song Cycle, and she has an international career. And so Van Dyke asked me to play on a couple songs for her. And it was the same thing, because his arrangements are dense. And to find a spot to play. Now, Lee Sklar has no, trou has no trouble finding a spot to play in, because the bass is pretty much the bass. Grant Geisman has, I don't know how Grant does it. He finds these amazing parts to play. Of course, he can read, you know, he can read the whole score and play it. I, I can't do that. I can, I can read one line. He can read the whole thing. But uh, uh, Gabby's parts that I played for that record, I did the same way. I found something to play. And the album uh, uh, came out. It's really worth looking into. Rise playing on it. 
uh, Grant, myself, Lee, Keltner, the whole, you know, the, the bunch of people are on it. And she's just extraordinary. Spanglish, Gabby Moreno, but Van Dyke produced it. And uh, we got to work, I got to work with Al Schmidt, uh, who's, I think Al's 90 now. Yeah. At, at the Capitol Tower. Have you interviewed him, Al, at all? I have. Absolutely. What, what a guy. Yeah. No uh, kidding. And, he, <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, and talk about sharp. And I, I hadn't seen him in about, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years. I walked in the room. Hey, Ira, how you doing? What? You know, I mean, I can't even do that with people I haven't seen. But uh, same thing. Power of concentration. Al's one of those people that I've mentioned. He's he's one of those guys. He happens to be an engineer. You know what the first song he ever engineered? Uh, that was the first one of the early ones. He was he engineered Moon River. <laughs> you want to start a career with that? Uh, uh, Phil Ramone, his pal. Uh, uh, uh recorded Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday Mr. President to JFK. I mean these these guys are just ridiculous. And I got to be around them. You know, I get to be. Hopefully I will be around for a while longer. Well, one of my nicknames is the niche of the niche because I I love these like little things and you could almost call it a score. There's something that you did and I have always thought it was one of the perfect backgrounds to a children's story. Jimmy Buffett mm-hmm. reading the, the, his, the story that he wrote with his daughter, Savannah Jane. Mm-hmm. And I always wished that somewhere that music, the music was just wonderful, would be available somewhere where we, you could just hear that music. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh, of- it was, yeah. Well, it, 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 it was a, a, a battle that I lost to get the music out. Um, my now ex-wife, we are still very good friends, um, was the editor. I, Vince Melamed, who I think you introduced, you, he introduced you to me, uh, was playing with Buffett. And I had met Jimmy, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he met, he was around uh, during the Souther days. I think he came around. Mm-hmm. And Vince was playing with Buffett. And there was some, well, what happened at first was that uh, Van Dyke uh, asked me to come to the studio when he was doing Jump. And I brought my then wife to the studio. She never met Van Dyke. And, you know, Van Dyke in the studio is better than the music that he's doing. He's, he's, that's the show because he's so, I mean, he's one of the funniest people on the planet. Hmm. Bob's a close second. Bob's very funny, too. But Van Dyke could do stand-up, you know. And so a, a three books were, were made. She was working for Harcourt Brace uh, Yovanovich, which is, I think, I think they're gone now. Um, three books based on the Uncle Remus tales. And um, it, it begat this whole series of books that my, my ex-wife did uh, with Buffett, Jimmy Buffett did. Uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Do you, do you have the name offhand? It was. Uh, he did uh, Tales from Margaritaville. Yes, Margaritaville. Uh, no, that was the book, though. The, the, yeah. And then he did two children's books um, The Jolly Mon and Jolly Trouble Mon. Dolls. There you go. Jolly Mon, yeah. So, jo- so what was happening in those days, this was a novel thing. It was the 80s, were audio components 
to the the books. And so because nepotism is golden, I was <laughs> produce, I got to produce uh, the, the the music for for for, uh, for a jump. We did audio of that. I got to produce the Jolly Mon. Uh, and I got to produce one of the dreams. I got to, uh, they did one of Swan Lake with Dame Margot Fontaine. I got to meet, I got to be with her. And she was, you know, talk about an otherworldly presence. She was, you know, famously, she danced with Nureyev and she was, she was delightful. So I got to produce that one. I think there was another one we did, but we did Buffett's uh, with, with, uh, with Savannah, his daughter. And all of this music was now what well, we, we licensed music for Swan Lake. There was nothing original recorded, but for the other ones it was we, we had sessions, you know, and I said to I met with uh, uh, some of the, the executives. I said, we got to put this stuff out. And I had friends in, in, in the business, of course, saying, look, we ca I can get a record deal. We, we'll put these things out. and You guys make a partnership with. Uh, I think we were talking to private music. They're, they're long gone. Um, and they, they, they said, well, we're not in the record business. So hmm. we're not going to do this. So I said, you don't have to be. I'm going to just, all you have to do is agree, essentially, to license this stuff to this record company. And you, you guys, I said, you guys are going to make money without doing anything. Well, we're, this is not really our business model. I said, you know, it was so frustrating. Buffett was frustrated. Van Dyke was frustrated. We were all, I mean, it was such a no brainer. I don't even know who, I mean, this, it's just languishing somewhere. So yeah, we, we couldn't get that music out and it was mm -hmm. beautifully made and it was very, uh, uh what well, was, they were tailored for the books, of course, but, uh, very intimate stuff. It wasn't kids music. We weren't making kids music. We we're making right. music that kids liked. That adults love too. That was the concept: is that we weren't talking down to kids. I later uh, worked with a very talented guy named Catfish Hodge, and because I was suddenly finding myself doing children's music, and 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 the guiding principle for that was: don't make children's music. Make good music that kids are going to like, that adults will want to listen to. So it was successful stuff. You know, it, it did well. Um, I, I think that some of the short sightedness of that we see in our, in the industry is, is it's, it, it doesn't go away. It's fear, you know, it's, it's, um, it's lack of vision more than anything. And so that music sitting somewhere, I, I have, I have it on cassette. It never even got past cassettes mm. and maybe no one will ever hear it again. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. It, don't know. On the note of your music, I'm hoping you can tell us about one of the tracks you sent me. It's got a very distinctive so sound to it. I'm talking about In the Picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, little backstory is necessary. Um, I was working with, I was introduced to Lacey J. Dalton, who mm -hmm. I've heard of. I heard of her and heard her music, didn't know her. And I was... Um, introduced to her through a mutual friend her name is barry wilson and barry and i met in junior high school and we weren't 
even close. We were acquaintances, friendly acquaintances. Later on, I was uh, 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 I was endorsed by a string company that she managed. And one day I was calling in to put a string order, guitar strings. And she said, Ira, are you the same Ira? Ingram? Yes. And it was like, wow, after all these years, you know, she was in uh, Santa Clara, California. And so we would see each other every NAM show, this big gathering called NAM uh, in Anaheim. It's, you know, 100,000 people uh, all converging, which didn't happen this year. And she kept saying over the last, oh, I don't know, four or five, you have to meet Lacey. I have to hook the two of you up. And I didn't know that Barry really had a very highly developed sense of, of prescience and clairvoyance, whatever it was. She was tuned into things. And so in 2018, she uh, said, okay, that's it. I'm flying you to Santa Cruz. Lacey's playing up there and I'm going to put you up and you have to meet. Okay. Twist my arm to go to Santa Cruz was great. So I went up there and Lacey was performing and, and Lacey and Ira, I mean, Lacey and we hit it off. She was great. And what a talent, amazing singer, amazing performer. And, and Barry's up there, you know, and, and saying, well, so when you guys want to start recording, wait, 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 we're on our first date. You want us to have kids already? Hey, hang on. <laughs> and, but we got together. Uh, that was, I think it was May, April or May. And by late July, early uh, August, September, we started recording. You know, went through the process, listening to songs. Yeah, let's do that one. Well, let's, you know, we found songs to do. And uh, I used Jackie O. I used David and John. David Raven, John Avila uh, is the rhythm section. We cut tracks with Lacey. She lives up uh, near Virginia City, so she flew down for this. And uh, I ended up playing a bunch of stuff on there and um, layering it. And then Lacey, Lacey did all the vocals here. And we were forced three songs in, three of the four. We did an EP. And Barry died. Mm. She had been ill and she had a, just a host of problems. I found out before she died, we were born the same day, same year. And wow. all these weird interconnection and interconnections that we had um, brought us together in this moment of, of working with, with uh, Lacey, working with me, uh, my, my producing her. And she died. And it was Lacey and Barry were very close. They talked every day. And my friend Steve Bartek, who goes to the UK a lot because uh, he, he, he works with Danny Elfman. He's the main orchestrator. Of course, he was Oingo Boingo. He bought an instrument some years back called a Citern. I just happened to have it because I thought you might ask me. This, mm. is, this is the Citern. It's oh, a... Okay. It's a Renaissance instrument. It's 12 strings, all tuned unisons when they're in tune, uh, uh, octave above a guitar. But there's no octaves. They're all unison. And so he, 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 he had one, and I said, oh, I got to get one. So he brought one back for me. He brought this one back. 
fellow named Paul Hathaway makes them there. So as a Renaissance instrument, it was very crude, but this guy made it work. It played beautifully in tune. And so Barry had died. The album, the EP was not complete. And I have to tell you, it was it was one of those moments. I took this thing out of the case and can't play it now. You recognize it from the thing. Mm -hmm. That happened as I took it out of the case. This little pattern I, I, I came up with, which on the recording I play correctly. And I the whole the thing just poured right out. Now, where did it come from? We talked about that earlier. Who knows? Was it Barry? Who knows? I don't know. I don't want to know. I know it happened. And so I said, okay, let's stop the presses. There's going to be a fifth song for the EP. And I played it for Lacey, and she just breaks down. She, she, mm. she can't even. I said, look, there are no lyrics. It was just a track. And I said, so I think this thing should be on there. It's it's, it's <laughs> Everything points to this thing being on the track, on the, on the EP. And she said every time she sat down to write, she just couldn't take it. And it, it, it didn't get done. It didn't make it to the EP. And I'm messing around with it. And I kept thinking, oh, th this is our song. This is Lacey and me honoring Barry. That's what this is all about. And... It wasn't going anywhere. And then thanks to COVID, earlier, it was around, I want to say February of 20, I opened it up and I listened to it. And and my wife kept saying, you know, you're going to have to write the lyrics. <laughs> you're just going to have to do this. And I know I don't want to have to write the lyrics. It's not my song. And uh, that picture, which I think I did, I give you the picture. There was a picture. Maybe it was in the email. Uh, it was a high school, junior high or high school picture of Barry, and I kept looking at this picture of of this image, very grainy, and the song came out. Mm. I, let it, I let it, I let it happen. I got out of the way enough, and I have no idea how all that stuff happened, other than uh, it was very clear that this thing had to get done. And I think that for me, I, I, going back to my my restless thing, I, I don't like things being unfinished. Yeah, it's a real, real. Uh, that's tough for me. Things languishing, like you just uh, the things you brought up, the the Buffett song, the Buffett music. I haven't thought about it in all these years. So thank you, Paul. Now now I'll be pissed off. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but but uh, you know I. I this one, this particular song in the picture was was really nagging at me. And I knew Barry, I knew that Lacey would not write it, even now that she's able to. Uh, so I did it and I sent it to her. And she just, she said, she called me, said, I'm now crying again. Hmm. <laughs> no, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even play the whole thing. And so uh, it's done and it became part of the package of my, this whatever the next collection is going to be. Very different than everything else I did, because it wasn't intended to be mine. But it became mm -hmm. mine uh, through this very uh, 
contorted timeline here that that allowed I had to get you you hear artists say this all the time. I had to get out of the way to mm-hmm. let this thing come through. Everybody says that. And there's real truth to that. Um I had to get out of the way of thinking Lacey was going to do it. That was my getting out of the way. Uh, I was hoping she would. I didn't want it to not get done. But on the other hand, once I started writing it, it was easy. It was a piece of cake. Well, it was a piece. Two pieces, it was two pieces of cake. But um, it it this instrument, the citron, uh, was the handmaiden to it. Because if if I picked up a regular guitar, you know, they they say that you know, well, this guitar has a lot of music in it, or that one has, and and you know. You hear people say this about, you know, various instruments. Well, this one has this thing going for it. And I, I don't, you know, I have a, I guess it's it's a modest collection. I have 15 or 20 guitars. I, some guys have hundreds. And they all kind of do their thing. But if I picked up any of those other guitars, this would not have happened. And, and this thing's very difficult to play, very difficult to record. Because when you play it up here... So you, you, it's all with fingers. I, I did it, which was a big mistake. I should have done it as a pick, but it was with fingers. But the microphone's right around here, and I'm breathing here. So I can't breathe and play. So I mm. had to record about four bars at a time, take a breath, and then record more because my breathing was as loud. Mm. I was playing very quietly. Uh, my breathing was as loud as the instrument. So I, I from now on, when I record this, I kept the mic way out. So I, I can at least play it and not be handicapped. Um, but this 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 little guy here was the street. This was the this was the highway to get to get where I had to go. Would not have gotten there otherwise. Anybody who wants more information, or if they want to stay apprised of when that recording is going to be out there, they can go to Ira Ingber. Dot com. That's I-N-G-B-E-R, IraIngber.com. And I always like to end the show. I just give the guests the stage. We have people who listen in all over the world. What would you say to anybody who's tuned in with us? Wow. Be kind to yourself. There's a lot of healing to be done right now. And I think a lot of it's on a personal level. We've all been through a tremendous trial, and we're not done. And I, you're in Atlanta, Paul, correct? Right. And you guys, you know, all the political upheaval going on there. But I, I, I see there's so much need for healing. There's always need for healing. But it starts with yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that we've had this year and a half now coming up of, I call it almost like a funhouse mirror. Everything's distorted. We're looking for clarity. We're looking for, you know, people, well, when when are we going to get back to, I don't think we're going to get back to anything. It's going to be different. We're going to get back to different. And I think it starts with being gentle with yourself. It means, and then by extension, people you care about to show love and and the 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 fact that we've been hearing this since 
since day one of the human race. But love, it is love, okay? Let's just establish that and accept that that's the way it runs. Uh, th th there's a great Beefheart song. It was on Clear Spot. Uh, I forgot the song, but the, 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 one of the lyric lines was, it's running on love. Mm. You know, or love, he's talking. Is it Big Eyed Beans? What are, the, what are the great songs on that album? But that's what it is. Being gentle, being kind, show love, and then we can heal. And I think music is has proven over and over again. It's demonstrated the ability to be a, a vehicle of healing. Uh, sometimes not the healing you want. Sometimes it's, you know, it can really jar things up. But sometimes it, 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 it's what's needed. So that's what I would leave it with. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour. <laughs>